Hi, I'm Homer Hargrove and I'm the pastor of Grave Top Church. I hope that today's message inspires you and that connecting with our church family today truly makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Let's go ahead and get started. We are finishing today's series, Spiritual Things, and this has been a really fun series as we've been going through. And this whole month as we've been talking and unpacking spiritual things of our world, there's, there's still so much more that we could talk about. But today, we're going to talk about this final message about, but who are you? But who are you? Look at somebody in this room and say, but who are you? Who are you? Yeah. And while there's so much more that we could discuss, yeah, it's a little, little late on the who are you, but that's okay. Uh, while there's so much more that we could talk about, today we're going to be really unpacking what makes the difference in our roles with our, uh, within our spiritual journey. And we're going to be uh, specifically talking about the aspects of anointing and spiritual authority and, uh, within individuals. And specifically, we're going to talk about what makes someone's like, spiritual mojo different than somebody else's. What, what, uh, what makes us different from one another when it comes to how come it seems like their prayers are like crazy powerful and other people's prayers are like, you know, hit the ceiling. What was this difference making thing when it comes to spiritual authority? And so to get us started, we're going to be looking at the story in the book of Acts chapter 19 verses 11 through 20. And this is actually Paul's third missionary journey. And it says, God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So let's make this real clear real quick. It says God was performing the miracles by the hand of Paul, right? It wasn't Paul necessarily performing miracles. It was God performing the miracles at the hands of Paul. So that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. So this is pretty cool. This is pretty cool. He's literally caught up. He's busy. He's overbooked. And instead of saying, oh, they'll have to just stay with that demon until next month and when I'm free, he says, Hey, I'm going to just pray over this, this bandana, this handkerchief, whatever. And you just go and lay it on that person and, and it will fix everything. And so he's having like some, some new kind of miracles happening as he's just having this, this overflow of anointing, this overflow of spiritual authority. And it goes on to say, but also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place, attempted to use the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had the evil spirits, saying, I order you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. Now there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, doing this. But the evil spirit responded and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know of Paul, but who are you? Look at someone say, but who are you? But who are you? Yeah. We're going to be a little more interactive today. And the man, oh, but and the man in whom was the evil spirit pounced on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Sounds like, like somebody that just got, got caught cheating in the act, right? They got sent out of the house naked and wounded. That was funny in my head. I feel like y'all should be laughing more. This became known to all who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. 
Also, many of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices, and many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. Could you imagine all of Hogwarts just coming and burning these books? <laughs> it's crazy. And, and they added the price of the books and found it was 50,000 pieces of silver, so that the word of the Lord was growing and prevailing mightily, and thus marked the first ever Halloween. No, I'm just joking. But <laughs> this story is really, really intriguing. It's really intriguing because it gives like this movie-like display of this spiritual world, this realm interacting with the physical realm. And the, this major theme that we're going to analyze in today's message is, is comparing Paul and comparing Paul with the sons of Sceva. So let's start with this first point, which is God's no tool. God is no tool. God's no tool. And I want us to, to understand that Paul, in this story, he's just killing it. He is killing it in this, in this spiritual ministry game. He's uh, not only just doing works, just all this stuff within his own ministry by, by praying, by preaching, having uh, handkerchiefs laid on people. I mean, could you imagine blowing your nose and someone being healed by that tissue? I mean, this is some crazy stuff that Paul's got going on. And he is walking with a clear spiritual authority that is obvious and recognized by all those who, are, who see him. But it, it is so obvious to where even people who do not believe in Jesus, who do not see as Jesus as the Messiah, are recognizing this authority, this power from, uh, from Paul. And then you've got these good old boys of Sceva who are doing an all right job up to the point where they have this high-profile engagement. You this high-profile demon that responds in a not-so-pleasant way. I, I think what the difference is between Paul and the sons of Sceva is that Paul, he saw himself as a tool for the hands of God. He saw himself as God's tool. While the sons of Sceva, they looked at God as their tool. Y'all feel me? Paul saw himself as God's tool while they saw God as their own tool. Whenever we envision God as a means to an end, we are making ourselves out to be greater than God. Any moment that you're trying to use God, you are trying to make yourself out to be greater than God. And God simply doesn't work like that. Think all the way back to when we see this display of Jesus being tempted by the devil in the wilderness. And there's a moment where the devil says, uh, look, scriptures say that, um, the chosen one, that, that God himself won't let the chosen one to dash his, phone against a stone, uh, dash his feet against a stone so that he will not get hurt. So let's go ahead and test that out. Jump off if you really are the son of God so, and, see, and God's angels will lift you up and protect you. And Jesus responds saying, the scriptures also say that you should not test God. See, that's what that means right there, is that you should not test God, that you shouldn't try to use God as a tool that, to, to work the universe to bend to our beck and call. But that God is truly the Creator, the Almighty. And so, when we, when, uh, when we understand that we live to serve God, and that God is not meant to serve us, it's a, it's a much different perspective. In fact, it's a different theology. 
I think that we've misunderstood the implications when Jesus positioned, positioned himself as a servant to us when he died on the cross, when he washed the disciples' feet. He served us. But he even clearly says that I'm setting an example for you to serve others when he was washing the disciples' feet. And we've taken that and we have looked at God as the servant to us. We, we've, mis- we, we've misinterpreted what Jesus said. And rather than, rather than seeing God... Uh, rather than seeing God as his servant, Paul saw clearly that he, his life was devoted to serve God through ministry. His life was devoted to serve God, not the other way around. And every time that he ministered, whether through preaching, praying, or having these kinds of miracles happen, he did so from the heart of, God, use me. God, use me. See, that's a servant mentality. I will step forward. I will be used by God. And it's, it's a p- place of humility. And the sons of Sceva, on the other hand, what, when they looked at what Paul was doing, they tried to mimic it for their own personal gain. It, I think that's why, even in the end of the passage, it, it elaborates how all these like sorcerers and those who used magic and dark arts how they, it, it puts them in that same pile. It says that they were the Jewish exorcists, but it puts them in the same pile as these, these magicians and these sorcerers, these witches and warlocks and etc. And it's because they had the same motive. They, they would use these sorcery, this magic, these dark arts for personal gain, for profit or for influence. There's no, there, there's no martyrdom in, in, in witchcraft. There's no martyrdom in, in magic. It, it is all for personal gain. It's all for greater influence. And so they, the sons of Sceva, they were attempting to use God for personal gain. And any time that you try to use God for profit, it is wrong. And can we not see that with some of the like televangelists? <laughs> uh, with, with some ministries that we have seen to where it's like taking a step back, you can see how clearly that they use the name of God to invoke profit. It was, uh, I think I was just talking to Johnny about this televangelist uh, that you know, is always calling out people to, to give, that they need to just trust God and give everything they got and God will bless them. And this boy's got like seven jets. <laughs> like, 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 like one can't be enough? Like say you really need a personal jet, but like you got multiple? That's crazy. And see, when we see that, it's almost disgusting. It's disgusting for us to see because we can clearly see that trying to use God for profit is wrong. Right? And when we understand that uh, this concept of of God not being a tool, it it should help us to also understand that, that God is not a magical tool in any fashion to get what you want. That God is not a magical tool to get what you want. I mean, God, He assists us and He helps us in this world. But to think how many times churches and people have presented this idea that if you, if you do this for God, He has to do this for you. And I feel like so many people that have had damaged faith to where they have doubted God even though they once believed in God was because of this moment in which they said, well, I gave I started going to church. I started doing this. I started doing that. And nothing in my life 
uh, magically fixed. God owes me. God, I did this, so you're supposed to do this. See, he's not a magical tool that, that just responds to our beck and call. And I think that if we constantly attempt to use God as a means to an end, it, it is just simply unbiblical. It's unbiblical. That is not the way God presents himself in Scripture. Don't get me wrong. God is very compassionate, and he consistently and constantly helps his people. And when we call out to him, he answers us. When we need him, he will, he will help us. But we have to shift our mindset in this thought of like God has to, because that's his purpose. That's his purpose is servitude to us, when it's simply not the case. And so... If, instead of seeing God as the servant to us, to our world, let's offer ourselves to be servants of God instead. Rather than praying for God to be the tool in our world, let us pray to God for us to be used as his tools in this world. With that fresh on our hearts, I want us to go into our next point of discussion, and that is, who do you know? Who do you know? Oh, wait. There we go. Who do you know? Who do you know? Maybe the last time you've heard that phrase is when you had a friend that just joined a network marketing company asking you, oh, so do you, who do you know? <laughs> who are some other friends that, that might be interested in something like this? Who do you know? <laughs> but I want to talk in a different perspective because first, I want us to understand that these sons of Sceva, they knew the name of Jesus. They knew the name of Jesus. And let's settle on this for a moment. Just the name of Jesus was enough for, for these exorcists for a, a period of time to be casting out demons. That's a really crazy thought, that the, just the power in the name of Jesus alone was enough to make demons flee. Man, if you ever got like those ooga-booga things going on at home, just start declaring in your home, Jesus is Lord, and it's going to be freaking demons out. You're going to be able to expel some ghosts just like that, right? Just go in your home and just start walking through the room saying, Jesus is Lord. And just the name of Jesus is that powerful. But now, what we saw is this distinction. Because the minute that they came face to face with this demonic possession, they said, who are you? It, it, it wasn't just, who are you? But the demon was asking, who do you know? Who do you know? Because he says, I know Jesus, I know Paul, but who are you? And the only reason he knew Paul was because Jesus knew Paul, because Paul knew Jesus. And so it shows us that there's this distinction between the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. See, they knew of Jesus, but they didn't know Jesus personally. And it shows this, this clear distinction that our faith in God is engaged on a relational level. Jesus marks his followers through his blood. And it make, when we look at this, it makes a lot more sense when we see Matthew and the other Gospels, when Jesus says that many will come before me and, and say, Lord, Lord, but I will respond saying, I never knew you. I never knew you. And they will say, but Lord, we cast out demons in your name. What? Just like these guys. But we did this in your name, in your name, in your name, in your name. And he said, behind me, I never knew you. And see, it invokes this relational aspect of Jesus. And 
It's that knowing, that knowing Him personally that marks us with this protection of His blood. And it, it leads me to understand that the more that you know God, the more you will show God. The more that you know Him, the more you will, the more you will show Him. And I think that this shows how relational God is with us. That we can't fake our way around Him. That we can't pretend to, to go through the motions of a, a religious show. That we have to truly know Him. And that He wants us to know Him. That He's not satisfied with, with uh, these manipulated results. That we can't try to pull things out of Scripture like, well, I should have hell insurance because of this. God's like, man, there's something so much greater than hell insurance. It's a relationship with your Creator. And... This, I really believe that this is the secret to unlocking the supernatural in our lives. And it's really just deeply knowing God. And our whole life pursuit is trying to know God in our lives. Every aspect of, of, of greater ministry that I've learned has been in the moments where I'm trying to simply know God more. And all of a sudden it's like this, this veil is re- removed. This, this deeper thing is uncovered. And I, I believe that when we understand that the power of God works like this genuine relationship with Christ, it, it makes it, it is best seen in the surrendered kind of life. It, and just how Jesus, he always, uh, in Revelations and throughout the New Testament, he refers to the church as a bride. He, he gives this relationship that I'm talking about as an analogy to a marriage. And when I think about when I married my wife, and if I were to try to understand what Jesus is talking about, being mar- uh, us as the church, being the bride of Christ, when I look at marriage and I think about this, this uh, connection to one another, this covering of one another. See, when I married Lauren, anything that happened to her mattered to me. If someone treated her in a bad way, even if they didn't do anything to me at all, boy, you're going to have problems. It, 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 it is just because she's under my covering in this relationship. Anything that happens to her, I come in and I want to protect her. I want to guard her. I, I'll be, you'd be having to hold me back at, at, from showing up at her workplace. <laughs> I'm like, I, I'll be close to being like that kind of hood. Like, like let me see your boss right now. <laughs> Bring him out here talking to you like that. In, in the same way, the things that she cared about, I cared about. You want a new car, baby? Man, that, that's all I want to do now is get you a new car, baby. She loves her little brother. She loves her brother. I, I, for me, I'm like, my siblings are all right. <laughs> but she loves her little brother. And so, you know what? For me, I love her little brother. I took him in. I cared about him, not because he did anything necessarily special, but because of her, I care for him. It's this covering just because of our relationship. And that's how it is with God. That's how it is with Jesus. It's just this, this thing that happens almost like osmosis. And so now that we understand how incredibly relational God is with us and how it affects the spiritual world, let's talk about one last thought. And that is there are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts. And I think the most interesting part of this story, probably the most important one, is what happens at the end to these sons of Sceva. They get humiliated and injured 
in a public view when their ministry just blew up in their face. Completely blew up in their face. And I think it's a perfect display of what it's like to treat the things of God as ordinary. When we treat the things of God with irreverency. And, and I want to be clear, I'm not, talking about, um, I'm not talking about not being yourself. I believe that the Bible shows us clearly that we should be transparent with God. In fact, God likes it. He loves it when we are honest with Him. When you look through the book of Psalms, which were predominantly written by David, David, King David, is known for being a man after God's own heart. For being a man after God's own heart. It was such a relational way that he was described. Now, David was not perfect. And I'm not even talking about his big mess-ups like murder and adultery and crazy stuff. I'm talking about like even just in his prayer life, I think what we see is the clear relationship, this, this transparency that God is trying to tell, talk to us about. You read some of the Psalms and David's writing like, God, they have hated me without cause. They have, they have surrounded me. And, and all of us are like, been there. Yeah. And then he goes a step further. It's one thing when we like feel that in our hearts. He goes a step further. He says, and God, I want you to kill them. <laughs> <laughs> You ever pray like that? <laughs> God, I want you to kill them. It's like, okay, <laughs> okay, David. <laughs> I get it, you're mad. Like, okay. Look. And he says, no, 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 I'm not done yet. Not only that, I want you to kill their children too. <laughs> it's like, David, <laughs> calm down. <laughs> like, I know you're mad, but like, take a chill pill, man. This needs a... And see, we see in Scripture, God says in Deuteronomy that he, doesn't, that he commands the people to not punish the children for their parents' mistakes. He commands it. So we know that that's not the heart of God. But the fact that David was that transparent to where he would talk to God, not about just these pretty little prayers, but that he showed even the ugliness within his heart with God. That he would be completely open to God about his, how he was really feeling, how he was really thinking. It's that kind of transparency that matters to God. And see, that's what I'm talking about, how we can't just fake it. That God, He already knows that's in our heart, but it's another thing when you just like openly share that with God. And, and so when I'm talking about being, being irreverent to God, I'm not talking about transparency. We need that. What I'm more so talking about is when we treat different things of God as ordinary. When we, when we treat... M- even the aspect of ministry to God's people as something common, it can be dangerous to both us and others. And I want us to think about how many times have we known or heard about some well-known pastor that has a crazy falling out of sin and it just detriments the, the ministry and it detriments the people's lives that were, that were connected to that person's ministry. It makes me think about just not too long ago, I saw this one, um, this news clip of this pastor, I think it was in Indiana. Don't quote me though. But this, this pastor that it came out that he had this, adult, this case of adultery from 20 years ago. And, and he, he finally openly confesses it to the church. And it, you know, it's like a, a moment where like the church is shocked and, and they're like, oh my gosh. And then he, he at first con- makes the confession, right? And he, you know, said it in so many ways. I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have said something earlier. And when you ask me why I didn't, 
You know, I, it, it's really because I was afraid. And you know what? The whole church gave him a standing ovation. Like, wow, thank you for coming forward and being transparent. Because just like we see in, in Scripture, God honors transparency. But here's the kicker. Here's the, here's the part that made a difference. Right after that, some, someone else took the stage. And it was unwittingly the, the person he had committed adultery with. And she goes up there and reveals that she was 16 when he took her virginity on his office floor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, you ever wanted to take back a clap? <laughs> you, ever, you ever clap for someone that you regretted clapping? It's kind of like voting, right? It's like, oh, man, I should have voted for that guy. <laughs> but, and see, once, the real, once it was revealed, it, it, was, it was detrimental. And then it goes on, they went on to share how just really tragic this was because the only reason he even came forward in the first place is because she finally told her brother about it after years of, of, of that eating her up inside, feeling confused and lost in her faith. And it was two weeks ago from him, his confession. And so his brother, again, that protective relational covering, said, oh, hell no. <laughs> and he confronted the pastor and that, it gave them like an ultimatum. And so that is the only reason he even confessed in the first place. See, after that, people were not clapping. They got... He, they were almost holding people back. like, you do that? <laughs> Men going up to the stage wanted to take this guy out. And see, that kind of humiliation, that, that kind of damage to both sides. One, the minister, because that, that man will never be able to, to minister like that again. Because uh, even with uh, rotten ministers, they still, there's moments where they do make a difference. The message they give, it, the gospel is so powerful, it goes beyond people. And so to know that he'll never be able to have an impact in ministry like that, unless he goes to a place where like he's not known or something, but can't make the same kind of impact in ministry and you're damaged as well. You're com- that minister is completely damaged and humiliated in a way that's really hard to recover. Just like these men of Sceva were wounded. And then all of the people that that man administered to are now dealing with this challenge and confusion of their faith by receiving ministry from a man that didn't practice holiness and see i think that the level that we we can understand this level of holiness for the preacher for ministers we can understand that trying to do the work of god without the holiness of god is dangerous to you and to others something that we need to grasp but we we use our we use this like excuse for ourselves and we disqualify ourselves from, from ministering the gospel to people because of the actual same reason. I'm not saying that um, we have to be perfect. I'm not saying that we have to be holier than now. But what I am saying is that when we, when we understand a pursuit of holiness within our life, and what is holiness? Knowing God more. Simply pursuing God and everything that comes with it. When I found God in my life, no one had to tell me to... to to stop doing something. No one had to tell me to repent of anything because the closer I got to God, just naturally my heart would change to where I no longer desired the things that I used to do. I no longer desired to beat people up for no reason. Well, before I really desired that. I liked to hurt people, but after I got closer to God, I realized I don't like that. I like to help people instead. And see, my heart changed. 
That holiness is found in the pursuit of Jesus. And instead of us disqualifying ourselves, we, we should understand that holiness is for us too. Because when you, when you understand the importance of holiness, you will, you will feel more empowered to be a tool at God's hand. The number one, what I found, the number one hesitation people have when, when ministering the gospel in any capacity. I'm talking about even if you just feel in your heart that you should invite somebody to church, but you hesitate. You randomly feel this unction like, oh man, someone should pray for them. But I, not me, I can't do it. <laughs> talking about those months, the number one hesitation is that feeling and fear of being a hypocrite. It's that hesitation like, well, I can't, I'm still so messed up. And we have all this reserve because we think we're not good enough. And it all, what it really boils down to is our perception of holiness. Because how can we promote a changed life in others when we ourselves have stepped back into our old life? It's the biggest thing that stops us from being used by God the way that Paul was. And I want us to understand that we are all called to reflect the light of Jesus. I once heard that, that Jesus is like the sun and we as a church are like the moon. We do not emit any light on our own, but we reflect the light of the sun. And that is what it is like as Christians, that we are, we are truly supposed to reflect the light of Jesus. And we simply shine brighter when we, when we put an importance of this holy lifestyle, a holiness pursuit. Now, look, I'm not saying that we have to be perfect, okay? But there's a difference between like struggling with sin, like, oh, I'm trying, to, trying not to do this, or I'm trying to, 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 to do better, to think better, to treat people better. From, there's a difference from that and then like just swan diving into it. You know what I'm saying? Doing a backflip on the way down. It, it's not about us being perfect, but us simply having this idea that it's important. Hey, just this week, I almost slashed some lady's tires in the pre-K drop-off. Okay, I'm not perfect. Yeah, I'm ghetto like that. <laughs> Cut me off like that. It took me 10 minutes to talk myself out of doing something. <laughs> and I don't even want to share what I did do or say. <laughs> but, it's, see, we're not, it's not about being perfect, but it's about this attitude of understanding and reflecting that that this idea of holiness matters if I want to make a difference for the kingdom of God. If I want to be used by God, if I want to know Him more, that, then it's just uh, this natural reaction that, hap- that should happen. And maybe the very thing in your spiritual life, you know those moments where you feel like you're spiritually blocked? Maybe, just maybe, it's because there's this, this veil of holiness that we need to break through. I'm not saying that you have to earn your way into God's presence. We are only made holy by the blood of Jesus. But maybe there's something just that is this like wedge in your life that you need to step over. And for me, a long time ago, I I was saved. I was a Christian and I was starting these steps of ministry of being used by God. But the wedge for me was like smoking weed. I'm not saying smoking weed is a sin or not. But what I am saying for me is like this wedge that was stopping me from, from getting closer to God. And when I finally broke through that wedge, that, that veil, I, I found just this new level of God in my life. And see, that simple aspect was like, it was breaking through this level of holiness to where I could trust God with my peace. And 
maybe something, that's the, that's the thing that you need to, to look within yourself, within your own spiritual walk. Maybe you should even consider just doing a three-day fast to seek God and, and asking God, what does that look like for you personally? What is, is something in your life? What can happen to bring you closer to God personally? Imagine just doing a three-day fast. That's not how long. There's 365 days of the year to pig out. What's three days? Say, God, I just really want to seek you. I, want to, I really want to seek you, and I, I want to grow closer to you. Imagine you have no other desire in your fast. You're not fasting because you need a new car. You're not fasting because you need God to intervene in some miraculous way, but simply fasting, saying, God, I need you. Man, how powerful would that be in our lives? With that being said, I want us to close our eyes and bow our heads. And maybe as I'm sharing this last message of this series, you're feeling this compelling in your heart, this moving within yourself to make a step forward of putting your trust in Jesus for the very first time. As I'm talking about holiness, I'm, making, I'm trying to make it abundantly clear that it's not that we are holy, but that we are only made holy by knowing Jesus. And if you're here right now and you realize that you've never made this moment, this introduction of yourself to Jesus, and you want to make this decision to put your life in His hands, to surrender yourself to Him, just as Paul said, God, use me. Maybe you just need this moment where you said, God, I need you. I want to go into that covering. I want to trust in Jesus. If you've never made that decision and you want to today, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. Amen. So just there to yourself, I want you to have your own conversation with Jesus. If that was you, the Bible says in the book of Romans, that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, surely you shall be saved. What it's saying is, if you have a genuine heart and talk to Jesus yourself, acknowledge who he is, the Son of God who died on the cross and rose from the dead, that's all it takes to start this relationship. That's all it takes. You don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. You can have that conversation yourself. Now for the rest of you, while they're doing that, if you're here and you feel like this calling within yourself to grow closer to God, as I was sharing that we're all called to reflect Jesus, the light of Jesus, you feel this, this, this unction in your heart that that's what you want to do. You don't even know what that looks like, but you, you have this something within yourself that's saying, I want to be used by God. If that's you, with every head still bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your head. I see all your hands. I see all your hands. So now I'm going to pray for you. God, I pray that you finish what you started in each individual's life. And I pray, God, that you just speak to them clearly. Help them to be sensitive to your voice. And I pray that you would just show them what it is like to be used by you. I pray that you would uh, speak to them and help them to hear your calling. And that in the moments that, that they are supposed to step up and do something or say something, that you just make it abundantly clear and that you help lead them by the hand in this relational covering as they, as they are saying that they, are, they want to surrender to you, that they want to be used by you. And I pray that you just show them even this week how, how real you are, how clear you are, how powerful you are, and how, how much potential is lying within them as being uh, reflectors of you, Jesus, as being tools of the kingdom of God being witnesses of you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen.
Hey, I hope that you enjoyed today's message. If you did, there's several different ways to connect. First is by subscribing to our show, leaving a review or a comment. Second is by going to gravetopchurch.com and clicking the Get Connected tab so that we can connect with you as an individual. And third is if this ministry has made an impact in your life and you want to help us to continue to reach others, then you can give online by clicking the Give tab. Until next time, thank you for being a part of Gravetop Church.